All right. Well, welcome to the Young Adults at Christ Covenant podcast. This is not the lovely voice of Thomas Nelson, but he's here. Yeah, but it sounds so lovely. Oh, thank you. When you, I mean, Will, this, this is, is just great. This is, I'm Will Carlisle, joined, of course, by the illustrious, loved, and trusted Thomas Nelson. And we're, we're about to talk through Thomas's sermon from this past Tuesday on the impardonable sin, a nice, easy topic yeah. for us to talk about on this Thursday morning. And, uh, and so we're going to talk through that and really dig in. And Thomas is going to be basically, we're going to walk straight through his sermon, but with a little bit more, you know, maybe helpful banter, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and basically press into this topic. And, uh, you know, Thomas has told me a couple of times since the sermon that it's probably the most uh, question invoking sermon. Like he's got more questions, more conversations and texts and whatnot than most any other sermon he's preached. And um, I, th- I, th- I think that it's very faithful and um, true to what the Lord says. And I-, I do think that while it's heavy, there's actually a great encouragement and call to action in this. Mm-hmm. So Thomas, will you, will you get us on the train tracks of we're in Matthew 12 Matthew chapter 12. Yep. And I preached this sermon 37 hours ago. And like you said, uh, there has been many conversations that have started and questions asked. So let's just jump in Matthew chapter 12, um, starting in verse 22. And we'll go through 30, uh, 37. And I'll just go ahead and read the whole, the whole thing. Come on. Then a demon possessed man who was born blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed, and they said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, By whom do your sons cast them out? And therefore, they will be your judges. But if by the Holy Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And these next two verses are the two biggest question mark verses. I'll read those verses 31 and 32. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So either make a tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tommy. Come on. Lots of stuff there. Where, 
So just take us right to where you kind of put us into this passage. And, and Yeah, let, let, let's. so the, the two big verses everybody wants to get to are verses 31 and 32, where he yep. says, every sin will be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, he even says, it's so interesting, he even says, um, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man. Mm. So even words spoken against Jesus are forgiven, but a blasphemy, uh, a speaking against the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to jump there, but we have to see what the context is. Yeah, And the context is really important. It starts in verse 22, and that's why I read this whole long section. In verse 22, we see that there's a demon-oppressed man, blind and mute, who gets healed. Mm. Then there's two groups of people. One group are the regular Jewish folks that are not religious elite, they're mm-hmm. bystanders. The other group are the religious elite, the, Phil, the, the um, I was going to say Philistines. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the Old Testament, yeah. my friend. Um, the, the Pharisees. And this is where the controversy begins. So one group sees it and says, this miracle is amazing. Maybe this is the son of David. And they're going back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, where the Davidic covenant is promised. And God says, one day, David, I will have an heir to your throne who will rule forever. And he became known as the son of David, whoever this was. Mm-hmm. And they said, maybe this is him, Yeah, which is another reference to Messiah. So they saw the miracle and they said, this is good. This is God. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees saw the same miracle. And said, this is bad. This is the devil. Yeah. And what you start to see is, okay, that one instance is going to take us all the way down to say, there is a sin that is unforgivable. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is going to say, you guys who are calling what just happened that is good and of God, but you're calling it bad and of the devil, you're in dangerous ground of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that's unforgivable. Mm-hmm. So to get there, <clears throat> we, uh, we, we walk through um, th- that account, those first few verses. We get to verse 25, and Jesus says something, inter- or it says something interesting of Jesus. It says he knows their thoughts. And so he's not so much condemning their words. Their words are wrong. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, this is Beelzebul. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the the Lord of the flies is another term for Beelzebul, the 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 God of that comes out of like decay and death. Yeah, death, yeah. Um, and so he he's going past their words to their thoughts. Hmm. And this is very important because it's in our hearts, it's in our thoughts that we're either guilty of blocking, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, or in our thoughts, in our hearts. It's where we start to first receive the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. So he's going past their words and he's mm-hmm. going to their thoughts and he's saying, I know your thoughts and therefore yeah. I know your heart. And uh, just to make a note on that, wouldn't that basically imply, you know, Jesus looking to the thoughts of these men and that this sin is is proven in the fruit of their, their heart and in their thoughts, that um, it, it's not something that's judged by mere exterior, you know, actions or words. That's right. And so it's, it's there's like this deeper judgment uh, of which, you know, man looks on the outside, but God looks to the heart. Yeah. Like there's kind of some of that dynamic in play in terms of how can anyone know who's 
committed the unpardonable sin or who's just, you know, a opponent to the faith. That's right. That's right. And, and, and it, it, this is where we should, this is a passage where we're, we're only one chapter removed from Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. We're in the same chapter where it says of Jesus, a bruised reed, he will not break a smoldering wick. He will not stuff out. Mm -hmm. He hasn't changed his character. Mm -hmm. He's not now unloving and unkind. Yeah. He is though giving a heavy warning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how we ought to read this passage. The same man who does not break a bruised reed, who, who does not put out a smoldering wake, who says, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me, mm -hmm. is also the same man who will say, I'm going to challenge you right now mm -hmm. because I care about you. Mm -hmm. Not because I just want to show that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And so as we read this, if we get a little lump in our throat, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to read certain passages and feel very at peace and assured and restful. It's okay to read other passages and think this is, this one puts a little lump in my throat. Mm -hmm. That is the tone that Jesus has, but it's out of love. Mm -hmm. It's not out of, I want to show you how bad you are. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's that idea that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's right. And so, um, the, any time that God would humble us, um, or, you know, oppose us to humble us, um, it, it's that we would receive his grace more fully. Yeah. Uh, I'll read you a quote. There, there were several different things I read as I was preparing for, for this sermon um, from both people that are still alive. And mm -hmm. a lot of those folks have like basically completed their ministry, like Piper, for instance. Um, he's been faithful. Totally. He's pretty much completed his pastoral ministry. He's still ministering to folks, but in a different capacity all the way to folks that have been gone for a long time and they're with the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and they all seem to echo very, very similar sentiments on this passage. But one of the Desiring God articles that I read said, attacking Jesus is one thing. And you remember he said, every word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Attacking Jesus is one thing. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. God himself among his people, but not yet fully revealed his death and resurrection. But attack this enigmatic son of man and the spirit can overcome that. But it's another thing to see what God is doing and turn to attack his spirit. Mm -hmm. Who is left to help these scribes if they're setting in against the spirit of God, insult, dishonor, and make enemies with the spirit. And who is left to bring you back? Mm -hmm. The reason these scribes are dangerously close to being guilty of eternal sin is because they are evidencing such a settled hardness of heart, not just against this mysterious son of man, but now explicitly against the spirit Absolutely, that their hearts may no longer be capable of repentance. It's not that they were maybe genuinely repentant, but given the stiff arm, mm -hmm. but that they never have forgiveness because they will never meet the simple, invaluable, soft hearted condition for it. Repentance. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> another guy, uh, Dr. Thomas Schreiner, He's a, he's an older seminary professor from Southern and he had, um, he had given a little snippet on YouTube answering this question from, you can just imagine some young seminary guys read this passage and they feel like they've got all the, all the tools in the toolbox yeah. and they can't, yet they can't get this one unpacked mm -hmm. <laughs> and they read it and they're like, Oh no, is that me? Yeah. Um, which is what we all do. We're like, is that me? Uh, at least that's what we should do. We mm -hmm. should at least ask the question. And, uh, he said that this passage grieves people. Mm 
Um, he said, even some people, it's tortured them. But he said, the context of this passage is important. And what's important is, when I see God work, am I attributing that to the Lord, meaning I'm being sensitive to the Spirit, or when I see God work, am I so resistant, I think it must be evil. Mm-hmm. And then he said, can a Christian really do this? A Christian can't attribute the work of Jesus to the devil. Mm. And then he said something good that almost every one of these these folks, whether they're still alive or dead, said. He said, and, and I know you, you in particular, we were talking about this this morning, you appreciated this line. He says, almost certainly anyone who fears this has not yet committed this sin. Mm. Um, and then he points back to Scripture where Scripture teaches that, remember, it's the one who keeps us that's faithful even when we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's so important, though, don't you, that we need to remember Absolutely. if I'm like, if I hear this passage or in a minute when we go to First John five sixteen or or Hebrews chapter 6, when I hear these passages about people that have fallen away, that can't be restored, mm-hmm. this unpardonable sin, and I get really, really nervous about this, there's a good chance I haven't done it yet. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, you know, the because ultimately that fear, um, well, just a quick word on, or not even a quick word, but just a thought on, you know, intrusive thoughts are, have kind of grown as like a, an awareness in the public eye. And in a yeah. 2020, before I moved to Atlanta, I had like a massive mental come apart that was fueled by these intrusive thoughts, not about this passage, but different things. But sure. basically, you know, it's like a thought, it's a fear that ultimately is not based in reality, but it attaches itself either because you're tired and stressed or you are like anxious or whatever in this season. And it attaches itself to your brain. And it's a fear that you cannot disprove. It's like so irrational that you can't disprove it, but it almost always challenges the things that are most valuable to you. And so like your faith in God or your marriage or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And a really, really, really common intrusive thought is this idea that, oh no, have I committed, if I think this about the Holy Spirit, is that going to be me committing the unpardonable sin? And, you know, we like start playing these mental gymnastics and, you know, the, where we have to couch this in the broad wisdom of scripture is that, I mean, Jesus has literally just said, come to me, you who are weary in heaven heavy laden, I'll give you rest, you know, Jesus. And you're going to read all these scriptures later, uh, that are, you know, comforting assurance verses. one of them is all the, the far goes to me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's right. And so basically if there's a fear of being rejected by God, that is like strong, 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 strong evidence of the Holy spirit actually reaching towards you. And that, Yes. yes, you know, because these Pharisees are, they, it's not a fear of being rejected by God. They are rejecting God. And so yeah. um, there, there's a lot of comfort there that um, I think is Thomas Schreiner very aptly kind of helps us see. 100%. And we do get some interesting teachings that are pretty familiar with folks out of verses 31 mm-hmm. and 32, um, where it, it, every sin will be forgiven um, and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. We, we do get some interesting theology that comes out of there. Um, 
One is universalism is dispelled. Um, the idea that everybody eventually will will come to faith, even if they go to hell, mm-hmm. um, they'll like wake up one day and say, oh, okay, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm so glad that I've come to my senses now. Um, what we see, I think, and I didn't say this Tuesday night, I have said it before, what we see, whether it's in reading The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, which is an allegory of oh, people's amazing. hearts and minds in heaven and hell. Amazing. Um, and we see it in uh, in Jesus' story of Lazarus and the rich man. Um, what we see is that people in the next life mm-hmm. become more of who they are in this life. A million percent. Not a different person. Mm-hmm. More of who we are. So if we're knowing the Lord now, we'll fully know him then. If we're away from the Lord and we've hardened our hearts against him, our hearts will continue to be hardened against him. We become more of who we are. So we see at the end of verse 32, the uh, dis- a dispute of universalism. We also see where the Roman Catholics get their idea of mortal and venial sins. Um, and, you know, in some ways I agree with some, some of Roman Catholic theology and other ways I differ from Roman Catholic theology. But one of the things that, that Roman Catholics would do is they would say, okay, so there's mortal sins and there's venial sins. Mortal sins are grave matters that require full knowledge and willful consent. If you commit a mortal sin, you will go to hell. Um, a venial sin is, is like a lesser sin, mm-hmm. relatively light, committed without full reflection or consent. And where I differ is that in this text, Jesus says every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. And there is great comfort in that. Mm. there's not a there's not a delineation of like these these lighter and heavier and which is which they're all forgiven mm-hmm. except one and there is one mortal sin but there's not 20 of them mm-hmm. there's only one mortal sin and it happens in the heart it doesn't even happen in my actions it's if my heart becomes hardened to god mm. and if my heart is hardened to god because the Holy Spirit is is trying to call me and I continue to reject the Holy Spirit, what what other thing in God's arsenal does he have to offer me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's where I think it's helpful to maybe pull in a couple of other verses. So let's just real quick look at a couple of other verses. Yeah, um, one would be 1 John 5.16. And in 1 John 5.16, um, we see that uh, John says, let me find it in my Bible real quick. Um, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin that is not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. And a lot of times when people read that verse, they think, oh, somebody can commit a sin leading to death. And I think I think based on the context of First John, we're not talking about like, somebody commits suicide, which is often attributed to the sin that leads to death mm-hmm. or somebody gets, um, gets inebriated and drives a car and they die in a car crash. Mm-hmm. And maybe even some other terrible things happen in that car crash. Others are hurt. And you would say, Oh, they committed the sin that led to death. Mm-hmm. I actually think John is speaking more of a spiritual death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think John is echoing Jesus's sentiment and saying, there is a sin that leads to death. Mm-hmm. And that is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, and but I think maybe the most helpful passage is Hebrews chapter six. So let's look at Hebrews six, and I'm going to just read verses four through nine. 
In Hebrews 6, 4, it says, It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the age to come, and then fall away to restore them again to repentance. So let's just pause. In verse 4 at the first part, it says, It is impossible. And then in verse 6, it says, um, to bring them again to repentance, to restore them again to repentance. So there are some folks that, and this is strong language, there are some folks in this life that are too far gone, mm-hmm. and that is scary. Mm-hmm. And it should be scary, mm-hmm. but not scary to the point that I lose hope. Mm. It's a good fear. You know, some fears are bad, like your intrusive thoughts you had in 2020, those were unhealthy fears. Mm-hmm. This is actually a healthy fear, and the Bible has has healthy fears in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we go on, and he says, um, the reason it's impossible for them to be brought to repentance is since they are crucifying over again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And then he gives an, a, an agrarian example. He says, for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to the and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Mm-hmm. Then there's verse nine. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad he put verse nine in there. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> let's go to the agrarian example real quick. We love some agrarian examples in the Bible. We do love agrarian examples. He gives an example of a big piece of land and then another big piece of land right next to it. Both pieces of land receive the same amount of rain. Come on. One piece of land. Man, look at that crop it produced. We love some crappy land. Come on. What what's your what's your what's your crop right now in your mind? Uh, you know, I think my brain went straight to corn. Mine too. Nice. But then oddly enough, watermelons. Ooh. Yeah. I like watermelon. Yeah, I mean it's summer. How about some Georgia peaches? Come on, some, a peach orchard. This is a this is quite a nice farm. I said a peach. Yeah. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you eat that, and I kind of wanted that. It was like very. And peaches are awesome. It was awesome. Um, <clears throat> and so, so we have this like incredible crop that's produced from mm-hmm. rain. The same rain clouds poured on an adjacent piece of land. Only thing that came up in that land was weeds and thorns. Just, mm. it's a wasteland. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's the example that's given after this really scary passage in Hebrews 6. So let's go back to what, why he had to give that example. He says that in verse 4, he says, uh, <clears throat> it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. He's going to give five things. Once been enlightened, that's one. Tasted the heavenly gift, that's two. Shared in the Holy Spirit, that's three. Tasted the goodness of the word of God, that's four, and the powers of the age to come, that's five. So he says it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. What does that mean? Well, to be enlightened means to become aware. Mm-hmm. That that word does not mean salvation. Mm-hmm. It means I've become aware of the things of God. Yeah. It's a very knowledge-y, yeah. like very brain focused. Yeah. Think Romans 1. The things yeah. of God and general revelation have been made known. And all yep. of a sudden I'm like, this couldn't have just happened. Yeah. Yeah. I become aware. I become enlightened. And then after that, have tasted of the heavenly gift. The heavenly gift is Jesus. And so I've become aware of Jesus shared in the Holy spirit. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes you can go to a worship service and you're not a Christian and you can just sense there's something in this room. Yep. 
Well, that's sharing in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's a, a very simple way to describe that. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. It means Psalm 34, 8, the Lord is letting you taste and see that he is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the example Tuesday night of like pre-COVID, the lady at Publix that would give out samples. At our Publix, there was a lady, a lady that always gave out samples. And I was like, this is great. Now, she never gave me the whole meal. Mm-hmm. I had to buy it. Yeah. But I did like the samples. Samples were great. She was letting me taste and see that the, the meal's going to be good. Come on. <laughs> and so that's what the Lord does, shared in the Holy Spirit. Um, tasted the goodness of the word of God. I've experienced the power of the Bible um, and the powers of the age to come, meaning I understand that there is a heaven and a hell, the eternity is in the balance. If somebody has all those things mm-hmm. and yet it's not enough, that is the land that the rain fell on and only thorns and thistles are growing up. And what I've ultimately done is I've rejected the Holy Spirit trying to woo me to God. Mm-hmm. And so he says in here, what you're saying is the death of Jesus the first time wasn't enough. You're crucifying him over again. Yeah. Like God has exhausted his calling. Mm-hmm. And if his calling is not good enough and I harden my heart, I am the land that nothing good has produced. Mm-hmm. And that's why as a Christian, we need to examine like, does my life exhibit a life that is getting closer to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Do I, I mean, like when you really started to follow the Lord, you probably had a hunger for the Bible. Yeah. You probably were aware of like, man, I should, you and Jenna dated a long time. You were probably aware of like, I should treat her different than other guys do their girlfriends. Yeah. And if you didn't, you probably felt convicted. Usually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like, ultimately I think what your life has looked like, Will, is probably like a a healthy stock. Yeah. If I looked at a healthy stock, it's ultimately going to trend upward. Mm -hmm. But there are some valleys in there. Sure, totally. It's not a perfectly upward trajectory. But overall, I look back and I'm like, I love the Lord more. I'm grateful for him. I see him work. I want to follow him. I'm exhibiting Mm -hmm. fruit being produced in my life. And so that's why I think this agrarian example is so helpful. Mm-hmm. And for verse nine, I do think for our folks, I think of better things for them, mm-hmm. things belonging to salvation. Mm-hmm. You know, just to make a little, and I know that we're in agreement on this, but you know, I think they're like too far gone. Um, we, that is such a like jolting phrase, you and know, I, and I put it in there for a little bit of shock. Value. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not disagreeing with that. Um, but I think like an important thing to understand that in light of, because I do think, you know, a great biblical example is Pharaoh. Yes. Pharaoh was a man who's too far gone in his own wickedness and pride. If there's he a perfect bad example, I think you've found it. Exactly. Like he, yes. he could not be. And um, shout out to Jenna for actually being the person. Cause we were talking about your sermon and um, we were talking about, she was talking to some people who were kind of struggling with, that idea of people being too far gone. And she was like, but you know, like I think Pharaoh, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I married an awesome woman. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, so there's that aspect, but you know, you also have to think of like a Paul. And um, so basically all this to say that when somebody wanders from the faith or is an outright opponent of the faith, you know, it, it the, 
Matthew 12 says that Jesus discerned their thoughts. That's right. And and then he says this. And that there are people who are... And you and I are incapable of that. Exactly. And so I don't think that that gives us the permission to, you know, prescribe who is too far gone, 100%. to prescribe who has committed the sin. And I think that's where people might get hung up is on you saying that some people are too far gone. It's like, oh, well, that person left the faith, so screw them. No, like we actually... In our young woman ministry of the church, God is doing amazing things of restoring people, bringing to the faith people back who left and who who have totally walked out on. That's right. And you know, in, in a sense, like really seemed like the Hebrew six equation. And so, there's so much depth and nuance there. And you yes. know, so I, I do think that that's an important thing, which I know that you agree with. And uh, I, I think it's illustrated in the in the famous parable of the prodigal Mm -hmm. everybody thought he was too far gone yeah exactly except god exactly exactly (laughs) and and that is why i there was i had multiple conversations afterwards tuesday one was with this like really well-intentioned girl and she had tears in her eyes Mm. and i said are you thinking about somebody because i could tell her questions weren't related to her and she's like yes my brother Mm. And I said, how old was your brother? And she said, you know, early 30s. And I said, we cannot say that he is too far gone. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. Like, so what is the call of the Christian? The call of the Christian is not to decide they're too far gone. Mm-hmm. That's the Lord. Mm-hmm. The call of the Christian is to say, I want to love this person. I want to witness to them. Yeah. I want to show them the things of God. Mm-hmm. I, 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 un, until they breathe their last breath. Amen. I want to be the person that's trying to to bring them to know the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that is the call of the Christian. Totally. It's the call of God to know they're too far gone. Totally. And that is up to the Lord. Yep. And it's between the Lord and that person. Our job is to say, I love you and I want to show you Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it is beautiful when somebody is like eating in the pigsty and <laughs> and just have wandered away from everything good and holy to return to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the angels rejoice in heaven mm-hmm. when the one comes back. Absolutely. Like, it's awesome. Absolutely. And we want to be a place where that happens on the regular. Absolutely. So um, there, I, I'll read you another, another quote, it's, and it goes along with this. It says, if you do fear you've committed some unforgivable sin, or even that your heart has already reached such a state of hardness, God does not offer you hope. If you worry about unforgivable sin, then most likely you are not there, not yet. Mm. Hearts with settled hardness against Jesus and his spirit don't go around worrying about it. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> Is that David Mathis? Um, I think it was. I didn't, good, good I, didn't, man. I didn't put... Um, I spread the quotes out and I forgot to put the I'm like 99% sure that but it I think is. it is yeah um, I think it's a David Mathis quote from uh, a desiring God section yeah, I believe yeah. yeah don't go around worrying about it absolutely <laughs> I, I love that and then he goes on and he says if your worries about unforgivable sin and this is important uh, relate to a pattern of sin and unrepentance in your life your very concerns may be God's spirit working to keep you from continuing to harden your heart beyond mm-hmm. his softening. Don't despair and don't treat it lightly. Mm-hmm. As the Holy Spirit encourages his hearers on the edge of such danger, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
You are not guaranteed tomorrow, but you do have today. It is not too late if you still have it in you to repent. Mm. You know, Amen. we didn't talk much about this, and I don't on Tuesday. We don't really have time to spend a bunch of time on this, but I do think habitual sin, patterns of sin in a person's life who professes Jesus as Savior, are one of the main reasons that cause people to question: Am I really a Christian? Mm-hmm. And that's like to be super plain spoken. That is what people are asking when they read Matthew 12, when they read Hebrews 6, when they read 1 John 5. Yeah. Am I really a Christian? Yeah. I claim Jesus, but I do have this pattern of of unrepentant sin in my life or sin Absolutely. I just can't kick. Absolutely. What's do you have a do you have a quick thought on somebody who's struggling with habitual sin who they're just in a battle with it and they're wondering, am I really a Christian? If I was, couldn't I quit this? Yeah, I mean you know, uh, a thought on Hebrews 6, which we, it might have been you and me. Somebody and me did Hebrews 6. I think on it was us. The rhythm. Yeah, I think it was and, us. And, yeah. uh, you know, and honestly, like, I I, I think that that, I, I listened back to it. Jenna's going through Hebrews with her about girls Bible study. And um, we listened back to that. And uh, I, I do think that it, it holds up decently well. But one of the things that we kind of got into was, all these verbs that are t- that you know someone who's been enlightened blah 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 if you go through the list what is totally absent because it's easy to read that list and be like oh my gosh like that sounds like a christian um and, and yeah. that's why hebrew 6 is a huge stumbling block to like people in their understanding of the uh, perseverance of the saints or like the idea of can you lose your faith well the thing that is explicitly not in hebrew 6 is faith and love for God. That's right. And I think that that is so important. And, and that, uh, you know, in verse 10 of Hebrews 6, it says, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name mm-hmm. and serving his saints. And so, you know, I, I do think that what is important to see is you are not saved in any capacity whatsoever under any circumstances by anything that you've done. That's right. And you are not, you, you know, the like Jesus has borne the condemnation, and and so I would say like we just have to hold these in concert with, you know, Romans eight, Romans five, you know, Isaiah fifty three. That's right. All Deuteronomy seven. Like yep. you can go all across the Bible and just find God's plan for all of time and the new covenant that He would set up in Jesus is for people to be justified by the work of Jesus and by people just looking to him. And then I would say, if you are really discouraged over, and and I've spent far more of my life than I would wish were true in this position of just feeling defeated by sin and having that sense of, man, if I had the Holy Spirit, my struggle with sin would not look like this. Yep. And that is where it's always come from for me is like, if I had the Holy Spirit, it would not look like this. And, you know, the, what I have just been encouraged by is that the the Lord is not judging me on my sin, but on the righteousness of Christ. And then if you are in that place of discouragement, then you are, verse 20 of Matthew 12, a bruised weed, he, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That's right. And so 
you know, the, the Lord is very, very patient. He's very, very kind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would say if you're very broken and bent out of shape over your sin, then the first half of Matthew 12, this like, come to me and I'll, or Matthew 11, I'll give you rest. And then Matthew 12, you know, a bruised reed, he will not break. Or Matthew 5, uh, blessed are those who, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Yep. And so there is far more comfort for you in the words of Jesus. If you are broken and mourning and frustrated and discouraged over your sin, there's far more comfort than condemnation. Yes. And this condemnation in Matthew 12 is for people who don't give a crap about their sin. That's right. That's right. They're, they're, that's the hardness of heart. Exactly. It's the calluses that form through resistance. And that's how calluses form, right? If you're a guitar player totally. or if you're a weightlifter, no matter what it is, it, you get calluses because you are resistant totally. to something. Like if you care about your sin, or even if you care that you feel like you don't care about your sin, that, as David Mathis so aptly says in that article, that is mo- more than likely the spirit of God reaching towards you. Yes. Conviction. That is yes. not... That is not you being, you know, written on the walls of hell. <laughs> That's right, and and I I think it's so important to to give a, a an encouraging word like this to folks who are like, I have this habitual sin, but I do claim Jesus, and I'm really struggling here. My encouragement to you, if you're listening to this and this is you, or it's one of your friends, is to say, hey, let's take one more step in fighting this. Mm-hmm. Um, let me confess to one more person. Yeah. Um. Let me get on my knees one more time mm-hmm. um, because the Lord wants you freed from that sin because you're his child, mm-hmm. not to be his child. Mm. If you are a follower of Jesus, if yeah. you've come to him yeah. and, and it is beautiful when through that confession, through that battle, through that struggle, through the power of the Holy spirit, that a person becomes freed from one of those habitual yeah. sins. You know, uh, one of my, best friend Sam who he works at a church called Christ the Redeemer, the Redeemer great church in Marietta yeah but uh his dad who passed away a couple of years ago of a heart attack but he was an amazing man and loved the Lord and his family really well um he'd been sober for about 12 years hmm. and um you know from alcoholism and Sam asked him you know basically like what was the secret for him to sobriety and and keeping up and whatnot. And he said, every day, you know, I just tell myself, and especially in the early days, I would just tell myself, I'm not going to drink today. Yep. And that was it. Just, just one, today. One day at a time. And, you know, that's a big AA thing. But uh, th- I think that <laughs> just carries over to sin so well as, you know, for me with uh, all the big patterns of sexual sin and stuff that used to just have me in a chokehold. Mm-hmm. It was not massive, like thinking about life on a grand scale, but what actually helped me to begin to walk in freedom and has sustained walking in freedom is not today. That's right. And that's our walk with the Lord. Amen. It's one day at a time. Amen. Don't worry about tomorrow. Amen. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. Let's just walk with the Lord today. Totally. There's totally. great freedom in that totally. because that's the prescription of Jesus. It is. Well, let, let me let me kind of I haven't used this expression in a while. Let me kind of land the plane. Come on. Well, uh, I want to share some encouraging verses, and we'll call it a day here. 
Um, but these are verses about the one who keeps us, mm. not my ability to keep myself. Amen. And so I'll read just kind of a smattering of verses here. Second Timothy one twelve, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I don't want to pause on all these, but I do want to pause on that one. When someone who is a Christian has a terrible, terrible moment and gets defeated by sin. Mm. And maybe they, they go to the extreme of even taking their life. And I know that's happened here recently with some friends of ours. They have a friend who's taken his life and it's mm-hmm. been terrible. Mm-hmm. I just want to give you an encouragement that the Lord did provide that person a way out. He's faithful to his word, but they just lost the battle. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're not a child of God. Amen. Children of God have bad moments. Doesn't mean the Lord's not faithful. Mm-hmm. He is the keeper of our souls. Yeah. I think we can tr- take great solace in that. And Philippians 1 6 echoes that. He says, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Acts 16, 30 and 31, then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, this is so simple, I love this. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Mm -hmm. you and your household. The benediction of Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm-hmm. John six thirty seven, which you just said a minute ago, Will, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Amen. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, this is the testimony that God gives us eternal life, and this is life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know and have eternal life. And the last one is 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and this is one that I would say in your time with the Lord, in your time maybe with some brothers or sisters in Christ, this is a great verse to talk about. Mm Mm-hmm. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Hmm. I'm so encouraged by this Matthew 12 passage. Even when Jesus says in verse 34, you brood of vipers. He is saying that in love because what he's saying is your heart is poisoned. Mm. And if you hear those strong words of the Lord, there is poison in your heart. He is not saying, and therefore you're just worthless, terrible, blah, blah. He's saying that to bring you back. Mm -hmm. And so if you hear this and you think, I think there is poison in my heart, my encouragement to you is to go back one chapter, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and come to Jesus. Amen. 
with that childlike faith, it is that simple. And Jeremy Brooks, as he and I were talking about this, um, he's one of our pastors, if you don't know Jeremy. Um, Jeremy said, maybe it's as simple as this. We just come to Jesus. Amen. That childlike faith. We just come to Jesus. Absolutely. And so there's there's so much we could talk about here, so much more. But for now, I think we just ought to let this kind of settle. Um, we'd love to hear your questions. We're starting a series next week um, called You Ask For It. You can submit those. And if you've got more questions on this, we're happy to talk. But for now, much love. Much love. Come on. See you guys next Tuesday. <laughs>